It's time for the March 4th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on this waxing crescent day from the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, the storm before the calm, <laughs> Mahler, the fake news dog. Mahler? Mahler. You there, Mahler? Mahler. He, was run- he ran away. He doesn't, on, Mahler. doesn't have that much to do. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I better tell people what we're going to talk about okay, here. Okay, let's do that. We'll be talking about Chris Burden's perpetually burning U.S. flag. Dr. Bronner's magic soap. You like that stuff? I don't love you? that yeah. stuff. Yes. And uh, mountain lions. I love mountain lions. And defeating Russia. I would love to defeat Russia. And lots of other lots stuff of too. Lots of other stuff. Yeah. But first. Yes. Do you like to sing? No, I haven't sang. I don't sing anymore. Yeah. I used to. Used not, to sing. Not like professionally or semi-professionally. In the shower, I like to. Uh, sing, but I don't sing that much anymore. How about you, Mahler? What about Mahler? Loves a singer. Are you yeah. kidding me? You do? Oh, my God. Yeah? Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Oh, that's pretty. That's nice. <laughs> very good. And Nathan, mm-hmm. how about yourself? Are you a singer? Well, I think it's helpful to me, although I rarely do. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of instances where I walk into a place where other people are singing, and that's the best. Yeah. I mean, you can sit in a car and sing. You know, what's that? Yeah. But it's nice to be in a place where there's acoustical properties that make you sound uh, ethereal. And, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's not often that happens. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah, not, I, I, you I, could make it happen if you want to. Oh, yeah, it's up to me. But real quick, this is very quick, and that is my dad has this thing where we'll be driving around in the car, yeah. and a song comes on, and he'll sing almost the entire song, uh, like while it's on. Fly me to the moon. Yeah, we got Sinatra. Yeah. You got the Sinatra Channel on yeah. on Sirius, and he'll sing like every song that comes on. Yeah. And after a while, I'm thinking, well, he knows all the words. I think that's important. Yeah. He sings them all the way through. But it's it's one of those things he's always done. He's always sung over the song. Over the song. Yeah. Well, that's that's not curious. People do that all the time. All the time? Okay. I used to do it all the time, but not when other people were in the car. I didn't want to frighten people. <laughs> but you're in the car with him. He feel, he's, yeah. it's, he's sharing something yes. with you he, here, he Mike. He was in a choir. You ought to give him a big hug. He was in a choir when he was a young man. He was? Yeah, he was. In a in a church choir? Or? Yeah, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a Catholic school choir. And they, they actually got to sing in front of Bing Crosby. That's how, Really? That'll give you some idea how old he is. Uh-huh. They had a thing, and Bing Crosby was there, and they sang for him. Yeah. And it was like a you know when a... Bing Crosby was only five years old too, which is the <laughs> other really, incredible thing about really it. Really incredible. Thank From you. From SciTech Daily, MIT neuroscientists identified a population of neurons in the human brain that light up when you hear singing. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. But not other types of music, only singing. Hmm. Yeah. So in other words, it's your voice and the variations in your voice when you hear that, when you hear another person do that, there's another bit of neurons in your brain that we'll call them the, what, the song neurons? 
Okay. These neurons found in the auditory cortex appear to respond only to the combination of voice and music, but not a, not to either regular speech or instrumental music. We'll call them song neurons. Yeah, huh? I like Is that. that. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with it. The finding builds on a 2015 study where the same research team used functional magnetic resonance imaging to identify a population of neurons in the brain's auditory cortex that responds specifically to music. In the new work, the researchers use recordings of electro electrical activity taken at the surface of the brain, not functional magnetic resource imaging, which gave them a much more precise information than functional magnetic resource imaging. It's not often that you get to say functional magnetic resource imaging three or four times in a day, <laughs> no, let alone in like a minute. Yeah. The song-specific hotspot that they found is located at the top of the temporal lobe near regions that are selective for language and music. Huh. And you know when you slap your forehead, yeah. you know, or put your, your right, right between your eyes almost. Yeah. That, that's where that is. That's okay. where your temporal lobe okay. is. Just behind the temples. So that's that when you sing or hear singing, right there, that's picking it up. That location suggests that the song neurons may be responding to features such as perceived pitch. They call it perceived pitch because, you know, it's actually vibrations going at a certain pace, not, yeah, right. and you're perceiving them as pitch. Okay. Yeah. Or the interaction between words and perceived pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So they get excited about that before sending information to other parts of the brain for further processing. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. Now, you know, this isn't anything derogatory I'm saying here, but I wonder if these neurons light up to rap. I was wondering a version of that. I had my own thoughts yeah, about I, that. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if because it's sung to music or or you, yeah. or just to say poetry, if, I, if, I, uh, if I'm reciting a poem to music. Right. Is that going to light up these neurons? Right. I was thinking that my version of that was: Does do God, does a pretty voice, a beautiful voice, cause those neurons to react, as opposed to someone who isn't a good singer? Like and someone they don't even a, know. Is this singing or not? Is it a melodic? Yeah. Song? And the other thing that's encouraging about that is that these are the things that make us human. I, I maybe dolphins have a, the same reaction. Well, they may. They may. Octopus. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, there's something that is a part of the human experience, which is the commonality of our, of our our experience, which is encouraging to me. I'm looking for reasons to be encouraged. Commonality of our experience. Yeah. I'm not getting this. In other words, I would assume this research would verify that all humans have this uh, basically the same oh, okay. reaction. Yeah. To, to this. Oh, it's your brain. It's your brain. It's a brain. But it says yeah. something about the development of us as a species that we share this. And I, like I said, I'm increasingly looking for reasons that... To be excited to about be humanity. Excited. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Why is that, Mike? Yeah, I can't imagine <laughs> why, why I would feel that way. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you listen to music loud? Oh, I, yeah, I do. I like loud music, listening to it loud. Not necessarily loud music, but listening to it at a high volume, yes. Yeah, I kind of like to listen to music at the volume that I think that it, it was played at there originally. You there you go. Yeah, that it, yeah, yes, the intention of it. Like, I'm not going to take, say, uh, Paul Horn's 
Taj Mahal record and crank it up to 11. Right. You don't want to hear a what a uh, smooth and calming flute played in the Taj Mahal right. at the volume that at ear splitting levels. Yeah, yeah exactly. it just doesn't see now. Yeah. Now, Glenn Branca, am I saying that correctly? I think so. Yeah, Glenn Branca, that was that intended wanna, to play. You want to crank that up very loudly yes. and roll around on the floor and cry, <laughs> exactly yeah. writhing in pain as you clutch your ears. Yes, yes, from Reuters News Service. Mm-hmm. People like you and me. And animals like uh, our doggy over there, Molly. Yeah. Stay in it, Molly. We risk hearing loss from loud music. You know that. Yeah. In venues mm-hmm. such as nightclubs mm-hmm. and concerts. This is according to the World Health Organization, and it issued a new global standard for safe listening. Yeah. That's what they did. Nearly 40% of teenagers and young adults aged 12 to 35 years in middle and high-income countries, I guess because we have the amplifiers over here, are exposed to potentially damaging sound levels in nightclubs, discotheques, bars, sporting events, loud, obnoxious people screaming in your ears, low-flying jets, and basically anything louder than 100 decibels. That's where you want to watch out for it. That's it. And you think, oh, well, I never listened to 100 decibels. You go to Dodger Stadium. Yeah. You're going to hit. I remember I was there uh, measuring it one time. Oh, you did? I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I like to do that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just maybe a, before, before, in the before times. You know? Yes, the before times. <laughs> it was consistently over 112. It, yeah. it rested about 90. Oh, wow. You know what yeah, I'm saying yeah, there? yeah, yeah. The risk of hearing loss is intensified because most venues and events don't provide places to chill out. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You can't escape that loudness. Exactly. Unless you're some rich son of a bitch who has the seats that are in the glass enclosure. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you're right. I think we ought to pump in the sound at the decibel level into those enclosures to give them an idea of how obnoxious this thing is. Because you can't even converse with somebody. That is, we've had this conversation at yeah. baseball games, you and yeah. I. You're sitting there and you literally cannot have a conversation. Yeah. Right? Even when you're yelling. Yeah. And who wants to do that? Who yeah. wants to yell at the person sitting next to you? Good pitch. You know, something, you know, something, you know, just, yeah. yeah. The World Health Organization recommended live monitoring of sound levels and designated quiet zones. Yeah. Okay. It's a health issue. Right? I think you just turn it down too. How about that? <laughs> how about how about not putting me in an environment like these stadiums where they're they're essentially forcing me to to yell louder to be yeah. heard and create an, another level of noise that we don't need that's yeah. unhealthy for us actually. Yeah, like if I'm going to a concert I want to hear the volume yeah, up like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I'd go see Steve Coleman, for example. I'd like to hear the funk in that. I like the bass to really just be popping and blowing people's hair back. But, yeah. but yeah, at a ball game. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> if this news makes you want to turn it down, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because we sound good at any volume. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI.
88.9 FM. From the journal Trends in Plant Science. You read that one all oh, the time. Oh, please. Eh? Please. I never miss And you want to keep up on those trends, too. Absolutely. right? If you don't want to be, like, yeah. you know, out of the loop yeah. on that. Did you hear what, did you did you read the, the thing about the philodendron? You yeah. Know, you know, that was. What is hip in what, plant science? Yeah, what is, what is hip? Insects poop, Mike. Insects poop. I never. That's a complete sentence. It, it's a complete Just like March 4th yes, is a complete it, sentence. Insects poop. <laughs> Just like we do. Yeah. Or everybody. Just, I, or, I have, you the, know, I have the book. Everybody poops. Mother. Yeah, I have that book. Right? Yeah, you poop. Yeah, yeah, everybody, yeah. Oh, and, I know he does, yeah. But their poop, insect poop, has a cooler name, frass. Frass. Yeah, frass. And unlike us, insects molt as they grow up, producing a series of crinkly silhouettes like a cast. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You've seen those laying around sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's of their outgrown exoskeletons, and we call that exuvi. Exuvi. Yeah. Okay. So you got Frast and Exuvi, wow. which sounds like a law firm. <laughs> this waste may be great news for us that they do this stuff, although it might not be news to some of you. Exuvi and Frast contain polymers and nutrients that promote plant growth when mixed into the soil. I had a feeling you were going to say that. That's in the new great. paper, several scientists argue that this kind of insects, insect residue should be used to grow sustain, sustainable crops. Amen. Insects are increasingly being farmed for food, producing a growing amount of waste. The scientists propose collecting this waste and mixing it into soil in order to stimulate microbes that promote plant growth. The farmed insects would feed on organic waste from crop production, creating more frass and exovi. So you got this circular food system going on. Circle of life. Our good friend, George Rosales. You remember him. I do. He's been using black fly frass. Black fly frass. For black what? fly frass. Can you black, say that fast? Black See? Fly frass. Fly frass. You can say fly frass, but putting the black in there exactly. somehow messes it up. Anyway, he's been using black fly frass in his garden for 10 years. And he says it's good stuff. Well, 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. And I can attest it is good stuff. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? George knows what I'm saying. Yeah, George is a good guy. Great guy. You remember him? Absolutely. He's done a lot of good stuff at the station when sure. he was here. Absolutely. He's at KUCI DJ. Great energy. Yeah. Always, always upbeat. Always had a you know encouraging and great show. We'd have gatherings sometimes on Sunday at the station and out in front of the station. He'd like bring his barbecue. Yeah. 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 And he didn't have a pickup truck or anything, as I recall. I don't think. I think he like packed it in the back of his, you know, his Honda. Yeah. And he'd have all the utensils. He did this, you know, I, not professionally, but as a matter of course, he would barbecue. George liked to have a good time. Yeah. He liked other people around him to have a good time. He was always, always that way. By the way, George had a hat. He had a hat. Yeah. yeah he did have a hat. Yeah. I don't know what happened to it. But um, he's he, he migrated north to KXLU. Yeah. I don't know if he's still there, but mm. he, he's, he may be. I don't think he is. Oh, okay. Maybe, George, are you there? George, reach out. Anyway, this black fly frass of George is good. And the researchers say that both insect frass, frass and exuvi, 
exuvi, mm-hmm. can promote plant health above and below ground by increasing the abundance of happy soil microbes, by triggering plant defenses against herbivores, by stimulating native soil microbes that combat plant pathogens, and by helping plant reproduction. Uh-huh. One of the most important things, if we're going to make it to the next millennium, yes, is the health of the soil of the planet. There is, few, there are fewer things that, in terms of combating climate damage, climate change, than healthy soil. Yeah, it is a carbon reservoir. It is incredibly important to the health of our planet and to our survivability. So anything that we can do to help that is a good thing. Yeah. Black fly frass at a certified supply store near you. Uh, from the art newspaper, a new book published by Gagosian Chronicles 67 Projects conceived by the late artist Chris Burden. Uh, this is Gagosian mm-hmm. and Chris Burden. Uh, they weren't com- uh, completed, these projects, or kicked off for reasons like funding and technology. They were never executed because of that. But uh, Gagosian has a book of all this coming out. And I found it interesting because Chris went here to UCI. In fact, I was a classmate of his. Burden uh, was the first artist Larry Gagosian ever represented, going back to his 1976 Los Angeles show, Relics. That show included the lock from Burden's famous performance five-day locker piece, which he did here at UCI. Yes. He locked himself in a locker for five days and had people slip him food. Yes. And it had a special place for his poop, which wasn't frass, by the way. Well, I was going to say. And also, um, Gagosian has the bullet. uh, Well, uh, this show Relics had the bullet from Shoot, which Jasper Johns owns. Uh, shoot was yeah Famous. Bur- burden uh, yeah, yes. burden had himself shot by a friend yeah he just grazed his shoulder but you know he he would bring his friends and artistic colleagues and invite him to a performance piece of his and they'd stand in room they wouldn't know what was up and the next thing you know someone's has a gun and chris is standing 15 feet away 20 feet away and the guy is aiming the gun at him I, 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 yeah, I just, yeah, the idea of it. And well, again, it's, he was, I assume, trying to evoke all of our emotions and reaction. Yeah. yeah. And to put himself in harm's way the way that he did. Yeah. To say he was fearless would be an understatement. You had to be there in the 70s to kind of yeah. feel this. Now it sounds, what, arrogant or stupid or out of touch, but. But it broke some interesting ground back there. It really forces you to think about exactly what art is, what the human human beings are capable of. There's a lot of things that you you come to question. So this is a book about things he didn't do. And there are plans for a never-attempted beam drop, a 2008 project to drop three steel I-beams through the ceiling of Mega Collector, Michael Ovitz, you remember him, home in Beverly Hills. They would then reseal the roof, but they were going to crash the roof. The book also features Burden's inflammatory 2009 project to create an ever-burning American flag out of material that stays lit without consuming the flag. Ah. That's wild. One of his goofier notions was the idea of sending a hamster across the Pacific, uh, sailing across the Pacific by itself, 
the animal at the helm using food conditioning to train it to stay on course. I don't know how that would have worked, and probably Chris didn't either. <laughs> Not only did Burden test his physical limits with early performances like crucifying himself on the hood of a Volkswagen Beetle, yes. yeah, I remember yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. but his mechanical works often pushed the limits of physics. This is true in finished projects such as Metropolis 2 at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, where the miniature cars move at such high speeds that Burden had to figure out how to keep them from flying off the tracks. Okay. He put little kind of light brushes on the curves to slow them down is what he did eventually. But yeah, that That's was interesting. Cool. And if you ever have a chance, I don't know what they're doing at LACMA anymore. They tore it down. So God knows where uh, Metropolis 2 is going to end up. But it was a lot of fun and a, just an interesting piece. Just walk around and yeah. hear all those cars, those little uh, with the hot wheels yeah. spinning around. Wow. You know, it was huge. It was a huge. You may know the, the, the person's name, the artist's name, but back in yeah. the 70s, oh, the, the woman who cut my hair, Karen, uh -huh. was married to an artist who, who had a collection of Cadillacs. Uh -huh. And he had he stuck them out in the desert there. And he would drop nails, oversized oh. nails, through them. In the yeah, and out in the desert, he would drop you know a oversized big, nails, like a a nail looking thing. I thought you meant the one the planted uh, Cadillacs. No, that's out in Texas, I think. I don't know the where Cad Cadillac Ranch. That's yeah. Where that's but this, he would t t you know get a crane and drop a, a look like a nail through a Cadillac, and. And that was it. He would destroy Cadillacs. Yeah. Hmm. Well, maybe it's just cars, but anyway, I, I you don't. Okay, I thought you might know. Just cars. Was. Now he's he's taking it down a little well, bit. Well, I just it I, goes I, know from it was, I know it was what? a Cadillac, but it may have been other the compacts. Cars. Maybe he, he just hated GM. I don't know, but uh, well, it was, was all it was all GM products. I don't know. I just sorry. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. So how how many puffs did you take off that joint? Yeah, this I told morning, you Mike? three's my limit. So um, I told you that already. From Michael Hiltzik at the Los Angeles Times. Times. The rich men who control baseball don't care about us, Mike. Amen. Yeah. To Michael. The millionaires and billionaires uh, owners who control the league face a stark deadline to reach a deal with the baseball players to avoid canceling the start of the 2022 season. And they blew right past it. Yeah. There's no indication of when contracts start, uh, talks may resume in earnest, or how much of the coming season will be lost. But it should not be forgotten that owners kicked it off by imposing a lockdown on December 2nd. Yes. When the previous player contract expired. Uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred called the step a defensive lockout. What the hell is that? But it's more accurate to view it as an owner's strike. The owners waited 43 days to make an opening offer after that. That's right. I mean, they knew this was coming. That's right. They knew that, you know, the players weren't going to agree to this. But even after they shut them out, they raided until the middle of January, from December to the middle of January, because they probably wanted to vacation <sighs> until they offered the players something different. The, so the lockout was entirely unnecessary. Spring training and, and the season could have happened under existing under the existing contract. Right. When talks broke off this week, the owners were proposing to raise the minimum salary for players to $675,000 this year from the current $570 with increases of $10,000 a year. Now you think, ah, these greedy players, it's their fault. But in a way it is. But in 
it isn't <laughs> because uh, last year, the for example, the Atlanta Braves brought in five hundred and twenty-six million dollars in revenue, right. and they weren't one of the hottest, you know, the right. biggest teams as far as bringing in revenue. Right. They spent one hundred and forty-eight million on player salaries. That's twenty-eight percent. Now, for example, to contrast and compare for a similar job, the NBA and NFL spend about 50% of revenue on players' salaries. Right. So they're, playing, they're paying baseball players half the amount right. that NBA and NF players, NFL players make. Right. And the, 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 uh, they're only asking for about a 10% increase, the players are. Right. Yeah, and also that the players were willing to give in to some of the owners' demands on this other contract, right. including expansion of the playoffs, meaning more games, more more, more people, more yeah. I'm te more teams in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, and advertising on uniforms, and all of that would have covered yeah. the players' uh, increase in pay. That's right. All the all the uniforms now have two logos near the top of the jerseys yeah, in the NF yeah. in the NBA now. I don't know how far into this you're going to go, but I. Go ahead. This is the Sterling rule. The NBA essentially made it so that the owners, in their agreement, in their collective bargaining agreement, made it so that they have to pay a certain percentage of their revenue into the payroll. Yeah, we're now, talking about the NBA. The here. NBA. This is, yeah. was the agreement. And so, and this was because Donald Sterling was essentially tanking the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. One of the reasons why I loathe that organization as much as I do is because they, they don't he doesn't own them I know anymore. he doesn't own them. it's been over a decade I know since he's owned them all right so let go of your hate Mike. I know. they so have good players much better than and the I, Lakers and I, and they I like trumped the Lakers last night right. they are LA's team all right get used to all right. it so another reason why I hate them is they're now they're LA's team but anyway it's because oh you like Magic Johnson no I, I like and James Worthy I like that Kareem a, I like Kareem oh, come on come on anyway Worthy. Because so what Sterling was doing and other owners was tank every year. Yeah. They would they had crappy draft picks. They got rid of good players yeah. so that they didn't have to pay them. And he could pocket more of the money. Now, this is the same kind of thing. I think it's the Pittsburgh Pirates. And why are we Bolton. talking about? Well, I'm just going to get to the I'm going to get the baseball this last year. The Pirates and the Orioles. Entire payroll was under was under thirty five million dollars. Yeah. All of the revenue that you just mentioned, all that kind of revenue, five hundred and fifty million dollars. Remember what it's worth. In case people don't know, the, the you have about twenty five, twenty three. It, it varies how many mem members you have in your team. So yeah. divide that up twenty three yeah. ways. Don't divide it up like a basketball team either. Right. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. That's right. So. So this this is what the players in all the leagues have been trying to do was to get the ownership to pay a certain base level percentage of revenue into salaries. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's really the the gist of it. But but owners have been allowed to get away with tanking every year in order to profit from it. Yeah. They put a crappy product out on the market. They don't care. Well, it's a capital games game with them. They they want to be able to sell the team. For five billion dollars, right? Know, well, that's the other thing. Valuation of the Lakers is like five billion dollars, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that uh, we help finance the operation that's of right. these teams. That's right. We subsidize them. Yeah, 
Even purportedly privately financed sports stadiums generally require infrastructure improvements like highway widening or mass transit upgrades paid for by you and me, Mike. That's right. And the rest of you folks out there. The lockout and game cancellations resulting from the current labor standoff are just another indicator of how much the owners care about the players and their fans. That's right. In other words, nothing. Right, right. By the way, the owner of the L.A. Lake, L.A. Lakers, L.A. Rams, Granky or Cranky or Blanky, he he's he's a billionaire. He married a billionaire. Yeah. SoFi, there was a lot of a lot of public money went into the development of SoFi Stadium. I just, I mean, just they okay. just won the Super Bowl and all that. But I hate I hate professional sports. Things. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Yeah, mother. Mm-hmm. Want to get it? Want to get it? Huh? Get it? Get it? Get it, boy? Come on, get it, get it, get it. Let's get rid of him for a while. From Tech Live, one way to combat Russia is to move faster on clean energy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Another reason. When a geopolitical crisis sent gasoline prices skyrocketing four decades ago, President Carter called on Americans to achieve energy independence from Middle Eastern oil exporters. He installed solar panels on the White House, donned a cardigan sweater to stay warm, and took steps to boost domestic oil production. But Ronald Reagan reversed all that. The first act was to take those solar panels off yeah. the roof. The world's dependence on oil has as much to do with Cowboy Reagan and the oil barons he rode into office than anything else. <sighs> how can we? How can we even praise that guy anymore? You could you could draw a direct line from what he did to where we are today with Russia. I, I call Ronald Reagan's administration the Rosetta Stone of all the stuff that's effed up right now. Yeah. And by the way, in addition to that, we have to trash. Jimmy Carter all the time, right? You go, you hear. I don't trash him. No, we don't, but I'm saying it's sort of de rigueur to say I'm that Jimmy Carter. Him. Yeah, it well, was that's a, crap. Was a crappy president. No, no, that's because they got on him for one mistake he made. Right. With the hostages. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he, yeah, they should have had another helicopter. Is what yeah. they should have. But yeah. anyway, anyway, <laughs> he, you know, he told the truth. That was that was the problem in that that speech that he's often taught. You know the Malays. Uh, he never said the word Malay. I know he did. Somebody else characterized that. I know. And that. I'm saying and, we yeah. we have we have constructed this narrative around Jimmy Carter. Yeah, he was just telling us all to to do what we're having to do right yes, now is exactly. to chill a little bit to to not use so much energy. He told the truth. Today, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has upended global energy supplies again, threatening to raise gas prices that are already higher than ever in California, where Reagan was governor. It's a curse of Reagan, is what it is. It is. The U.S. oil industry wants President Joe Biden to ease restrictions on on drilling. That's not good. No. And Europe has already started importing more fossil fuel from the U.S. to reduce its dependence on Russian supplies. But doubling down on oil and natural gas isn't the answer. 
The war in Europe adds to the urgency of transitioning to clean energy sources like solar and wind power that are harder for bad actors like Russia to disrupt. It's easy. Even before Putin launched his attack on Ukraine this week, European nations were making plans to cut their reliance on energy exports from Russia. Russia supplies more than one quarter of Europe's oil and nearly 40% of its natural gas. But Russian aggression has sped up the EU's plans. European officials are expected to release a strategy next week for reducing the continent's use of fossil fuels by 40% over eight years and ramping up non-polluting energy sources. It's a good thing. It's a plan designed to slow the climate crisis. But there's no guarantee Europe will follow through on its latest climate commitments. Even if the geopolitical crisis underscores the benefits of shifting to renewable energy, it could also distract global leaders from the longer-term climate crisis. I think that's what's happening now. In the meantime, one of Europe's strategies for dealing with lowering uh, Russian gas supplies and rising prices during the last few months has been importing more liquefied natural gas from the United States. That's been the plan. That has, yes. And it's an option made possible by fracking, which opened up shale plays in regions like Texas and made America's the world, America the world's largest oil and natural gas producer. The American Petroleum Institute has urged Biden to respond to the U- to Ukraine to the Ukraine crisis by allowing more oil and gas drilling on federal lands and approving new facilities to export liquefied natural gas so we can get deeper into the climate crisis. Thanks, American Petroleum Institute. It's also, it won't get going quickly enough, this whole plan, to make any uh, significant difference with Ukraine. Right. Getting getting more gas going, natural gas. The global energy system will be more secure and more reliable the less it relies on oil and gas. Oil staying above or near $100 a barrel isn't a bad thing. If this lasts for a while, it might make renewable investment look better and Russia look weaker. Right. Right. This is, well, I'm just looking, in addition to what you just, just described, the IPCC, which is the inter... What is it called? The Interplanetary Petroleum... The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change issued another report this week in which they said that we, as as they put it in their report, humanity is hurtling towards a catastrophic series of events that will degrade the planet to the point where it will be nearly uninhabitable. Basically what they said. We are... We're not slowing down. Well, we by are... a civilization. Yeah, civilization, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it just came out this week, another report that said we are in some serious, serious trouble. From the New York Times. Meanwhile, deep below the ground in Ukraine lies vast, untapped mineral wealth that could hold the keys to a lucrative, clean energy future for the Eastern European nation, Ukraine. Yeah. Ukrainian researchers have speculated that the country's eastern region holds close to 500,000 tons of lithium oxide, a source of lithium, which is critical to the production of the batteries that power electric cars. The preliminary assessment, if it holds, would make Ukraine's lithium reserve one of the largest in the world. 
But the Russian invasion has come just as Ukraine, under President Zelensky, was trying to position itself as a major player in the clean energy transition. An evolution for a country that long built its economy on coal, iron, titanium, and other legacy industries. Late last year, Ukraine started to auction off exploration permits to develop its lithium reserves as well as copper, cobalt, and nickel. All are natural resources that play critical roles in the clean energy technology essential to the shift away from fossil fuels. In November, European Lithium, an Australian firm, said it was in the process of securing rights to two promising lithium deposits in the Donetsk region in eastern Ukraine and Kurovograd in the center of the country. The company said at the time it aimed to become Europe's largest lithium supplier. That same month, a Chinese company applied for rights to lithium deposits in the Notsik and Kurovograd. So we got China in there. We got Australia in there. With, while lithium isn't particu a particularly rare resource, it's currently virtually irreplaceable in batteries and demand is expected to skyrocket as electric vehicles take off. So there was a report that uh, Putin met with Xi uh -huh. during the Olympics yeah. in, which he, in which he asked, the Chinese asked him not to, and he apparently disclosed his plan to invade Ukraine. And the Chinese said, can you wait until after the Olympics to do that? Well, we don't know exactly what was said. Right. There is okay. there is something out there that what's this? I don't know what it has to do with uh, lithium oxide. Well, I, what I'm getting to is if knowing full well the capability. Oh, the, the Chinese. I think they just wanted their promotional thing going on. Yeah. And you have to remember, when the Olympics were there, there were already 100,000 troops surrounding the country, no, the, or Ukraine. Yeah. No, when I, the Olympics were going on, right. they're looking at Russia. Right. They're seeing uh, well, that Russia is surrounding Ukraine. So I can imagine Xi saying to Putin, yeah. don't do anything. Until? Until we, please don't do it. You know, we're, we're trying to yeah. boost our image here in the world. We're having the Olympics and the last thing we need for you to go off half cocked and right. invade a country, right? But I that turns into some shadowy deal, which might not have happened. Right, it may or may not have happened. Nonetheless, everyone's known about the lithium reserves in Eastern Europe, Eastern Ukraine, for yeah. a while. Yeah. My point is, is that the Russians coming in there to take over that part of Ukraine now gives them essentially the capability of selling it to the Chinese, giving them a resource. Also, they have control over something that will delay the demise of fossil fuels yeah. in the world. So it's a two-pronged, they will now have control over the, the reserve of lithium, and they can keep their uh -huh. foot on the neck of the transition to non-fossil fuel. Yep. Good point. Uh, lithium prices have risen by as much as 600% over the past year. Yeah. Just, just and the Russian that. economy is almost exclusively based, the, the important part of it, is based on fossil fuel. And earlier this week, 17 military experts wrote a letter to Lloyd Austin, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, underscoring the need for the United States to shore up its access to minerals. It may not be the motivation for the invasion, but there's a reason why Ukraine is so important to Russia. This is uh, their letter to uh, Lloyd Austin. 
and it's mineral, and that's its mineral base. In other words, Ukraine is. This invasion puts those minerals into play. Yeah. Wow. That's a nice comment, Mahler. I had no idea. He he comes up with smart stuff sometimes. He does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's actually shocking sometimes. From the Washington Post, OneWeb, a satellite internet company partly owned by the British government, has canceled an upcoming satellite launch using a Russian rocket and suspended all future launches that rely on Russia. The company announced after a tense public standoff, standoff with Roscosmos, say Russia's space agency, yeah. Roscosmos. Uh, Roscosmos announced it would stop selling rocket engines to America's companies, American <laughs> companies. Okay. All this tit for tat. Okay. The move both fallout from Moscow's invasion of Ukraine stands to further isolate the Russian space agency from its Western space partners and limit Russia's private space activities dramatically. OneWeb's loss of reliable rocket provider for, uh, of a rocket of a reliable rocket provider for launches also poses novel challenges for the company as it had aimed to complete a, its constellation of 648 satellites in orbit later this year. So that's good to me. I don't like those can constellations of satellites. I know a lot of our communication depends on it, but it also sets up a lot of problems, I think, for the future. It does. It does. From Mother Jones. Do you ever read Mother Jones? I haven't read it in a long time. Yeah. I used to read it all the time. Yeah. I haven't read it in a long time. You know, Puma. A Puma. The a cat Puma, or, Puma, the, or the tennis Puma. shoe. Uh, okay. Cougars. Cougars, okay. Mountain lions. Okay. There are many names for the big cats that roam Americas, the Americas, but and they really attack humans. Yes. Puma, cougar, mountain lions, but there's only one name that springs to mind for Montana Governor Greg Giaforte. Oh, God. Jackhole. Jack, God. You remember him, right? Giaforte? Yeah, the name's he, vaguely... He's a reformer Republican congressman who pleaded guilty to misdemeanor assault for body-slamming a Guardian reporter in oh, 2017. that's right. And then President Trump called uh, Gianforte, my kind of guy. Yeah. 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 Jesus, man. I know. Recently, Gianforte has been getting his yadas out through a different sort of violence, trophy hunting. Ugh. In December... It is a good story, or a disgusting story, depending on how you want to look at it. It's a good, disgusting story. In December 2021, when a Yellowstone mountain lion made the mistake of venturing off national parklands, a group of Gianforte's friends used hunting dogs to chase the cat up the tree. You know, they were out trying to get the cat. A five-year-old mountain lion, one of about 34 to 42 that live in the Yellowstone year-round, had been monitored by park staff with a GPS collar. The mountain lion hunt was legal, where the mountain lion was at the time, because he went out of the park, but the killing was a cowardly act by a cowardly governor. Gianforte's friends gave Gianforte a call when they had the cat up the tree. The cat was kept in the tree by the hunting dogs for a couple of hours, while Gianforte hopped in his SUV oh and traveled to the site. He then took aim at the tra at the treat cat oh and fired, killing it. In neighboring Wyoming, detaining a mountain lion in, is in a tree until another hunter is, arrives is illegal. 
uh, in Montana, it's legal apparently to be a cowardly governor. Well, what's with these people anyway? Who does that kind of stuff? Can you imagine? No. I mean, if you were a kid, no. they'd, they'd send you to some sort of therapy to get that bad behavior out of your system. What, you chase a cat up a tree and then you kill it. And, but you call your friend over so he has the opportunity to do it. And it's not as if I would venture to say all of the people that were standing at the bottom of that tree didn't understand that these are endangered animals. Well, they're beautiful animals. I don't know if they're on yeah. the endangered list quite yet, all but, right. but there they're was kids. only 34 in Yellowstone. You're right. That's they're, a big place. They're cowards. Yeah, they're just cowards. They're cowards. They like, they like to be physically rough. But they're cowards. They they can't face themselves. How about That's dropping the gun? Cowards. Why don't we drop the gun, let the cat come down the tree, and you guys go mano a mano and see what happens. <laughs> see who see who's the manly there. I, I it's. Well, I tell you what, give the cat a gun. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Give the cat. I think that was one of Chris Burden's projects. Give <laughs> it, the cat a gun. It yeah. It, it does sound like a far side cartoon to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, you've been using Dr. Bronner's soaps for a while. I have, and I love Dr. Bronner's soap. In fact, for as long as as I've known you, not to get personal, (laughs) but you've been talking about the the benefits. Well, we, you and I, interviewed the director of the documentary about Dr. Bronner back in the day. And if anyone is interested, there's a bottle. You can get the bottle liquid version of Dr. Bronner. Are you going to talk about that? But on the bottle is an amazing array of philosophical and interesting writings when we teach the moral abc all mankind is united brave strong just free for the future will be better when we are better times will change when we change conditions will improve when we improve if you and i cooperate by full truth to accomplish them yes and on and on and on and, and, on, on, and on and on and on. Right, and exactly. On and on. But put together by a man whose family was almost eradicated by the Nazis. He came yeah. to America. He opened his own business. He gives the He gave profit. the soap away. He, the yeah. soap was not his business. Yeah. He just liked to philosophize. He and did. so he would speak in front of people and hand out soap. <laughs> and people said, this soap's pretty darn good. Uh, Emil is his name. You can wash your clothes with it. You can yeah. shampoo your hair with it. You can clean your body with it. It is amazing. Dr. Bronner's magic soaps. Generational soap makers. Yes. Right? Not just him, but his generations of, of family. And finally, from yeah. Rolling Stone. Since 2015, Dr. Bronner's magic soaps has donated more than $23 million to drug advocacy and research organizations. I knew there was a reason. They include scientists researching the healing properties of ecstasy, or MDMA, activist groups that help decriminalize psilocybin magic mushrooms in Oregon and Washington, D.C., and a small nonprofit working to preserve habitat for peyote. Emil Bronner, as we said, the company's founder who died in 1997, didn't do drugs. No. But his grandsons are sure he would have approved of their decision to make psychedelics a central component of the family soap business. Our grandpa was all about shifting consciousness and opening hearts and minds, David Bronner, his son said, pausing for effect. He probably would have put LSD in the soaps. <laughs> uh, oh my God, Dr. Bronner. Bless him. <laughs> 
and subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.